Welcome back to Distinct Nostalgia. We've lots of great interviews, reunions and documentaries lined up for you for the rest of 2023. And we're making a return now with a special series of interviews with some greats of British film and TV. First up, giving a lovely insight into the life of her iconic mum, Dame Thora Heard, as well as an illustrious career of her own, is 60s film star Jeanette Scott. And this is part three of that three-part chat. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Now, Jeanette, um, things changed significantly for you, didn't they? You got married again to Mel Torme, a famous singer, um, and you decided that was it. You weren't going to do acting anymore. I I stopped completely. Uh, Mel, who was quite interesting, if you want to get psychological about it, I took on the role of my father, to Mel, who was an amazing artist. He was both writing, performing, a fantastic musician, wrote every note of every arrangement that was ever performed in uh, orchestras that he sang with. Quite amazing talent. And it, it, he also wrote books. And it, it uh, seemed to me when we first got married that the last thing this coupling needed was another career in the family. So especially once we decided to have children, which we did, and it's the best thing I ever did, Daisy Torme, who is a, a highly successful voiceover artist in Los Angeles, and James Torme, who is a, a wonderful jazz singer and has a group, so I, I gave up my career there and then, quite happily. I won't say that there, there weren't occasions when I watched films or went to the theatre and didn't think, oh, I could have done that. But I never thought, oh, I could have done that. I've got to get back on the stage or anything. You know, if you think about it, Ashley, I had already had. 30 years of uh, a career. And that's as long as most people's careers last. Anyway, so the fact that I had started a career at sort of seriously, at sort of nine years, 10 years old, I'd, I'd had enough. I understood the business thoroughly. I know I was a huge help to Mel. And more importantly, I stayed home and brought up my children myself and didn't, as so often is the case, have to hand them over to um, uh, a housekeeper or au pair or anything like that. And we remain incredibly close. They are the sunshine of my life. <laughs> and of course, in a way, um, you, you may have been changing your life, but it wasn't changing that much because, of course, you were still part of it, weren't you? The entertainment business, showbiz, you were still right at the heart of it. Oh, absolutely. So I certainly didn't miss that. You're quite right. Uh, the, the world in which we lived and socialised was entirely both Hollywood and, and stage and performing. So I, I didn't miss out on uh, anyone 
talking my language, if you understand what I mean, and understanding the business and my enthusiasm, because if there's one thing throughout my life continues right up until this day, it is a huge enthusiasm for both film and theater. Uh, I'm number one fan for, for wonderful productions on both levels. Uh, and of course, that when I say film, that of course goes for video and, and the amazing, what I will call films that are now on television, you know. And um, quite obviously in recent times, because of the lock-in, I have been watching many films, uh, particularly films on channels that show old films. And I've been seeing in a bittersweet way, many old friends that are no longer with us. And my mother constantly. <laughs> I saw her last week in a film she made in 1942, and she was playing a German barmaid during the war and came right up to the camera and said, Heil Hitler! And I nearly fell off my chair because I realized that's my mum. <laughs> there you are, mum, you know. And the, the extraordinary thing of seeing myself, uh, over the last three weeks, I have seen myself age nine, age 12, age 14, and grown up. And uh, age, what would that have been? About 21, 22. Um, and I've been actually watching myself. I feel like, what's the, that great character, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, sitting, what, we didn't need sound, we had faces in those days, <laughs> sitting watching herself on the flickering screen. But it's been incredible. It's been strange. And most of the films, the British ones, have stood the test of time in terms of quality and stories. They have. They have. Yes, there are those that haven't, but good British film will stand up against anything, any day. And I think the talent we have in this country, or, or certainly we had, and in the technical sense still have, because... 90% of American films are made with British technicians and technology. Uh, it's quite wonderful and I'm intensely proud. And the black and white pictures look great, don't they? They look much better in many ways than some of the colour does. I mean, yeah, Technicolor was pretty good, but generally I think the black and white really stands out. Absolutely. Absolutely right, yes. Because the, the, the very old colour... Uh, Oh, I'm going to be technical with you, but I'll be brief, I promise. Uh, old Technicolor was called three-strip Technicolor, and the films were very bright and clear, but very expensive. I'm thinking of the old Hollywood films with three-strip Technicolor. They were very expensive for British companies to use, and so when... Eastman colour and various other colours came in. They were cheaper to make and they came in and sadly, a lot of them faded with time. 
the colour just doesn't hold onto the film. So, you, as I say, I'll be brief, but that's how you can tell the difference. <laughs> you want, what you want, Ashley, is a three-strip Technicolor film. <laughs> so you never thought then about returning to the trade? I was slightly tempted when I came back to England in 81, and just because there was some publicity of me arriving back in England uh, to live, quite a few people got in touch with me and I was offered quite a few things and that made me think again and I thought, well, the, the children are now uh, at school. I mean, uh, let's see, Daisy must have been about 12 or 13 and James was about 10. And they were going to school during the day. And I thought, maybe I, I could possibly do an odd film or an odd television. Uh, I read the scripts and then I thought to myself, hey, just, just sit back and enjoy what you did. <laughs> Don't try and, and tempt fate by going back and maybe not being in particularly great productions, you know. So I didn't. Tempted, but I didn't. And so what did um, your mum and dad think about you giving up uh, acting? We never discussed it. Isn't that funny? Never discussed it. Uh, I was over in America by then. And uh, I think they were so thrilled and delighted at the, the grandchildren I don't know, maybe they thought I would go back to acting at some point. I really don't know, Ashley. How curious you should ask that question. I, I never remember discussing it with them. In fact, I don't remember discussing it at all. It's only on a conversation like today and you asking me the question that I realize why I just stopped acting and uh, started being producing children and being a mum instead of producing films. Now, in all that time that you were in America, your mum was very much a household name here in the UK and continued to be all throughout my childhood in the 70s and 80s and also when I was a young man in the, in the 1990s. She was a constant, really, in many ways and had a fan base right across the generations, didn't she? I think so. I, I really think so. When I came back, I realised that she was an institution, in fact. <laughs> the very first time I ever read of anyone being called a national treasure was the Daily Mail about my mother. And that was years and years ago. Now, lots of people are called national treasures, but I think it was almost coined for my mother. They held a, um, a vote on who, who was the the most beloved person in Great Britain. And first, naturally enough, came the Queen Mother. And secondly came my mum. <laughs> I was delighted and so proud of her. Uh, when she died, we had a, a memorial service for her at Westminster Abbey and they couldn't get everyone in. It holds 2,000 people. And there were crowds outside trying to get in. And uh, that, that was really 
so heartwarming and and wonderful uh she was quite a character and of course your mum became known for lots of things but maybe in the latter years uh, it was her relationship with alan bennett and uh the media would often parody their link wouldn't they yes they had her and alan bennett on the spitting image and i must say alan wrote a couple of talking heads for her she got both a BAFTA and an American Emmy for her performances using Alan Bennett's words because he wrote so brilliantly for her. And I would very much like the BBC to, to show the originals and show her performance. Interestingly enough, in RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, they used her talking head performance when they were teaching dramatic art for several years afterwards. So, yes, intensely proud of her memory. And probably the most famous one that she did, and my favourite, was uh, Cream Cracker Under the Settee. You've got to have a box of tissues next to you if you're going to watch that. <laughs> so we've had a long chat here, and you've had a lot to say about uh, a long, illustrious career. Um, have you ever thought it's time to put pen to paper? Oh, my goodness me. Oh, Ashley, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I am many times in every year I speak to people who say, you've got to get this down in writing. You've got to write a book. <laughs> no, to which I say quite... Honestly and frankly, I was never a kiss and tell person. And quite frankly, the really interesting things would be to kiss and tell. And I, I'm simply not about to do that. Enough said that I have lived a life. I have been incredibly blessed, had a, a lovely full career, came from a great family, and now um, I'm enjoying the careers of my children my son's music james torme and uh, my daughter's career uh, by the way she might live in west hollywood but she specializes in northern english dialects <laughs> as a voiceover artist <laughs> but you did write the first chapter of an autobiography when you were young didn't you well, no, I, you see, I, I didn't realise where my life was going to take me. <laughs> and surely only people of a certain age would be interested in my memoir. It's one thing to listen to your programme and easy, but it's another thing to actually bother to buy a book and read a book. Now, going back to your mum, she was amazing, wasn't she? She never actually stopped, did she? Even towards the end, she was still acting. Well, I think for over 20 years, she did songs of praise every Sunday on uh, uh, BBC TV. From my house, by the way, my kitchen. <laughs> and um, uh, she did Last of the Summer Wine, I think, for 25 years. In fact, I have a great deal to be grateful 
to Alan Bell, who was the director and producer of Last of the Summer Wine, because even in her last year, they would send sometimes a private ambulance to pick her up, take her. We'd get to the studios. As soon as we drove through the studio gates, mother would perk up. She'd be happy to get in the clothes. She'd be wheeled in a wheelchair onto the set. We'd help her into the, the armchair. She'd know her words. And if necessary, darling Alan Bell would actually shoot her scenes line by line if it meant she could do it. And I am eternally grateful for that because my mother's life was her work and her career, most especially when my father had died. And uh, that's what kept her going. That's what kept her alive. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it more because I get quite emotional thinking about it. But, but I really am grateful that uh, she was able to carry on until the year before she died. And she died at age 91, 92. And uh, they kept her going. She knew she was going to work. And that ha made her happy, you know. That, that's amazing, uh, because I think the same thing happened. I mean, we worked with Norman Wisdom towards the end of his life. And, um, you know, he, he obviously had um, Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever it was he was suffering with. But as soon as you put a script in front of him, he was back to his old self. Fortunately, Mother, it wasn't until the last sort of month of her life that she had occasional dementia. Um, when she would either think she was in a Western with John Wayne, which was wonderful fun. <laughs> or um, sadly, she thought that she was on tour and her, her room was her dressing room. And she would talk about the other members of the cast. <laughs> um, I can laugh about it now, but um, it was heartbreaking at the time because I knew she was going downhill. But uh, yeah, she was great. And uh, how lucky, how lucky I am to have come from the family I did and to have the family I have. How lucky and blessed. Fabulous. Well, it's been lovely talking to you about, about both your careers. Um, just one, a couple of final things. You mentioned um, David Frost. And uh, I, I worked with uh, David on a couple of things. We did a few programmes for Radio 4 that I made with him. And then we did, we did a special programme which Michael Sheen presented because, of course, he played him in Frost Nixon, hadn't he? We did, we did a programme basically looking back at, um, at David's career. And uh, I spent a lovely afternoon with David at his office in London for two or three hours, actually. It was fantastic. It was really nice just, just you know, pouring out all his stories and things. And, you know, it was brilliant. And recalling in particular that the, the best bit, I think, was when he was talking about his um, the, the, the interview that he'd done with Robert Kennedy just before he died uh, in 1968, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah, so it was lovely, it was lovely to, meet, uh, to, to meet David. And again, sadly, no longer with us. He and I remained friends and had 
special lunches at least a couple of times a year, either when he would be passing through Los Angeles or when I came over here, I would go into London and, and see him and we'd catch up on our, our lives and our families. He was very much transatlantic, wasn't he? He was. One of the first, one of the first, really. Indeed. And, and the final question, really, um, we've touched on it a bit, I think, as we've gone through. Um, but you and your mum, did you ever actually work together in a full production or anything? Yes, we did. Mother performed tiny little scenes in several of my films and we worked together full-time on television in a play called The Queen Came By by Ronald Delderfield. She had been in it in the West End Theatre and when she came to do it on television a couple of years later, I was her co-star. Jeanette Scott, star of stage and screen in the 1950s and 60s, Britain's golden age of film. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. May I say thank you? It's, it's been uh, very easy and I hope I haven't rambled on too much. God bless, Ashley. It's been nice. Bye-bye, my dear. And don't forget, there's over 200 hours of great interviews, reunions, documentaries, as well as new comedy and drama on distinct nostalgia. Just scroll back through our archive wherever you get your podcasts. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.